Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Gym Owner's Guide to the Galaxy. This podcast is a production of Sweat Angels. Sweat Angels helps gym owners generate friend-to-friend referrals on Facebook. Every month, thousands of affiliate gyms, group fitness clubs, yoga studios, and martial arts schools rely on Sweat Angels to help them grow. To learn more about Sweat Angels, head to causely.com forward slash sweat angels. That's causely.com forward slash sweat angels, or just search for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening today. I'm John Ruggi. And I'm Matt Sharp. In today's episode, we'll talk to Tim Crazy Crater, former UFC fighter and owner of Gladiators Academy in Brobridge, Louisiana. Tim's school is one of the most well-respected MMA schools in the country. His philosophy on running an MMA school is based on being inclusive, creating an amazing first impression, and more recently, having a very strong kids program. Today, we'll hear how Tim developed that philosophy and why you should consider taking the same approach at your own gym. I am very, very happy to have Tim on the podcast today. I've been a fan of Tim since I heard him speak at uh, Alan Belcher's. Uh, we had a mixed martial arts gym owners uh, conference a few months ago, and I really, really enjoyed hearing Tim speak about his philosophy of running a gym and just life in general, and uh, very honored to have him on the podcast, and um, we'll, we'll really looking forward to hearing more about the gym and, and his philosophy. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it, Matt. Thank you guys for having me. So just to go ahead and get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, You know who you are, um, kind of your, your history with MMA and how that led up to owning a gym and Gladiators Academy? Sure. I, uh, my father was a boxer and, uh, I remember being in boxing gyms as a little kid. And then later on in my life, my, uh, I did martial arts all my life. I was really privileged to be able to, you know, looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I had the opportunity to do martial arts as a kid under a guy, you know, a pretty, uh, some people say famous, some people say infamous. It, 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 he, he's from New Orleans, so everybody from New Orleans has a certain measure of infamy, right? It's New Orleans. <laughs> so everybody from New Orleans is a little grimy when they need to be. And so uh, this guy's Joe Kona, and he was, uh, um, you know, he was back in the day. He competed a lot on, if you remember, which is really in line with my uh, trailer trash fighting style. He was one of those guys who had like a um, the handlebar mustache and the silk pants. Oh yeah, fought in those kickboxing, like the trailer trash kickboxing matches. He was one of those dudes, and he also started doing Muay Thai in like the '80s. So like, really was an incredible guy, and he actually taught us like some judo and hapkido and like some grappling stuff. And this is when I was like a real young kid. This is in the '80s. And so I really got a taste of what mixing martial arts was really early on. And I love training with him. Uh, and I trained at various places. My father was a chef, so we moved a lot. But I guess I was about 13 or 14 and we saw the first Ultimate Fighter. And my dad and I just went crazy. I mean, we heard it was going to come on and we were like, oh, man, we are watching this thing. And so in my understanding, that's the first thing I ever purchased on pay-per-view was the UFC. And it was like uh, 92 or 93. I was still in high school. 
And I remember I brought my girlfriend over to my house, and she thought it was horrible, the real, worst thing ever. Real romantic. <laughs> right. I thought it was the most amazing circus show the world had ever seen. I was so excited. Um, and from then on, I was setting up UFC fights with my unsuspecting high school friends in my backyard. <laughs> and I was doing Hoist Gracie triangle chokes and arm bars on them as they tried – effortlessly to escape they couldn't do nothing i destroyed them all but i really saw the power of jujitsu you know i didn't know what i was doing i just had watched stuff and i tried to mimic it and recreate it and man i, I was dominating guys like i they couldn't do anything with just the basic closed guard sweeps and arm bars and so i was really fascinated by it and what i did was i joined the military at 17 i got out to southern california and I immediately started training. Um, you know, I always had it in my mind that I would love to fight an MMA, but I don't think I ever really like thought I was going to be like some UFC, you know, superstar or anything of that nature. I think realistically, I just wanted to be a part of of the jujitsu, of learning jujitsu, of growing as a martial artist, and figuring out what this was all about. And I mean, I started training in jiu-jitsu in 1996, so this is my 20th year training in jiu-jitsu. I started out with a guy named uh, Micah Pittman, who's an Abu Dhabi competitor, and eventually I migrated to the Carlson Gracie team pretty soon after, and I've been with them under my instructor, Rodrigo Medeiros, for about 19 years. Wow. Um, and over the years, you know, I just I, – I was never the best kid in the class. I was never the most talented. I was never like – this, you know, shining example of what jujitsu should be. I was just the guy who never quit. I was the guy who was always at practice. I went to all the seminars. I took notes. I had notebooks. I studied. I read everything I could. I watched every video I could. I competed. Um, I was really close with my instructor and a lot of Brazilians. And in about 2000, my instructor sent me to Brazil to train at, you know, the infamous Brazilian top team which was considered the baddest team in the world at about in about 2000, 2001. Those were the days when uh, Nagara was fighting in uh, Pride and Bustamante was the UFC champ and Arona was fighting and Vitor Belfort and Laborio was there. All these guys were there and the baddest guys in the world were at this camp. And I was this, you know, kid, man, a kid. A little kid, like a 22-year-old kid from South Louisiana with no money. And I got sent to Rio, you know, and I didn't have nothing coming to me. I got the brakes beat off of me over there. But <laughs> I really learned, like, what real Carlson Gracie-style jiu-jitsu was all about. You know, we did gi training, no gi training, and we did jiu-jitsu with face punching. And it really gave me a full understanding of the art, you know. In many years, I've gone back. I go back almost every year now. My instructor does a camp and I bring Americans from all over the world and I I am on some level their tour guide to help them grow as artists and understand the Brazilian culture, which I think is really important and understanding how jiu-jitsu is taught and is learned in Brazil, which is very different than in America and, uh, and furthering the roots of Carlson Gracie legacy and my instructor through that method. Um, 
I started fighting in MMA really early on, even before I was fighting. I think I, my first fight was in 95 or 96, even before I was training jiu-jitsu. And uh, I just love fighting. I grew up fighting. I grew up in a pretty bad area of town. So, you know, some people have a fear, you know, when it comes to getting fight, getting punched in the face. I am devoid of that fear. <laughs> I, I have no problem eating punches like Pac-Man. So... <laughs> And albeit, like, seems like sometimes in a fight, like, my goal is to just get hit a lot. I don't even, I don't know. I'm an idiot is what it is. But but I just kept fighting until, you know, the UFC finally came calling. And I was on the Ultimate Fighter Season 7. Uh, I quit a really good job as a um, geophysicist. And uh, my wife was really pissed. Uh and they got to, I got to the show and they said, uh, if you win your fight, you're on the show. If you lose, you're going home. And so I remember you, you quit your job just to audition for the show? Well, they didn't tell me it was an audition. They told me I was on the show. <laughs> and I got there and I was on the show. But there were 32 people on the show. And if you lost your first fight. You went home. You went home. But if you won your first fight, then you stayed. And I remember, I remember my first thought was, and this is how how bad of a chick my wife is. My first thought was, man, oh shit, if I go home, my wife is going to beat my ass. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a 200-pound cage fighter on the Ultimate Fighter show, jiu-jitsu black belt, and I'm like, man, she's going to kick my – I remember thinking that. like That was my first thought. Like, oh, yeah. what? Oh, yeah. And so my first fight was against the guy – of the 32 of us, he was the most experienced guy. He was 15 and 4, I believe. He had more fights than anybody. And I think he had 13 knockouts. And I uh, I took him down and armbarred him in 20 seconds. I was like, this is not. We fucked this. We're not. I'm sorry if I'm cussing. Hey, if you guys that are listening to this podcast, if you don't like cussing, you should turn this podcast off. <laughs> I You're safe, Tim. But I love Jesus. I just, man, I just, I was a sailor for six years. So, you know, it gets crazy. And then my career did really well. So you were uh, on the show. You make I was it, on the show. You make it past the a, first fight. Great career. I trained a bunch of other kids, Dustin Poirier, Aaron Phillips, Christian Fuljum, Eric Scallion, kids that made it to Bellator and the UFC. I trained them out of a, a you know, a pretty ramshackle uh, shithole gym you in South a, You were in a movie. Yeah, and they made a documentary called Fightville. And uh, we got a lot of acclaim from that. And, you know, I've been running Gladiators Academy ever since. Now, the Gladiators Academy that you saw in Fightville and the Gladiators Academy today are, you know, two different things. We still have an element of that. But um, I learned the hard way that running a gym focused 100% on competitors is a real – impossible feat yeah so that's that, that's a great lead into so one of the things that really impressed me when i heard you speak was you showed that that picture of of tim crater back in the day you remember and then yep. tim crater the real tim crater it was like you with your family and, right. then, and then you went into like this philosophy of of how to run a successful martial arts gym sure so could you could you kind of talk about that? Because I, I really enjoyed that, and I think people can get a lot out of that. 
Well, even in the movie, like Fightville, if you remember it, there was one moment where I said, um, this is not for everyone. And so sometimes people take aim with that and they're like, man, Tim, like, what are you talking about? This is not for everyone. You know, martial arts is for everyone. And I do agree with that. It is. Martial arts is for everyone. But I was talking about in the context in that movie that taping up your hands and putting Deathbringer gloves on your hands and walking into a blood-stained cage and beating someone up in front of their family is not for everyone. (laughs) I think that's safe to say. Okay. Or getting beat up in front of your family, that is not for everyone. What I meant was martial arts is a self-defense methodology. Mixed martial arts is a aggressive self-offense methodology. Those are two different things, okay? And so understanding the difference between those two things took me a while to learn because I was aggressive. I grew up as a fighter. Like I said, my dad was a boxer. Um, I don't know if I was angry. I was just, I was a rough around the edges kid and I was down to fight. And mixed martial arts gave me the opportunity to be, to show myself offense, <laughs> if that makes sense. And what I grew to learn though was that a lot of people within our, society within our communities can benefit greatly off of the things we know and off of the skills we possess but they need to be taught and manicured and built in a way that addresses that need not that addresses the MMA need right and so after struggling for many years, because when you have an MMA gym and you're training MMA fighters and it's impossible to make the ends meet, you know, you have a bunch of 21 to 28 year old males who bleed all over everything, don't take showers, don't wash their clothes, never pay bills online, have the worst credit in the entire <laughs> demographic of the world. And it's very difficult for that to be the customer base that you're expecting to pay the bills here right now it's a customer base i still am passionate about because i'm a fighter but understanding that the skills we have can be utilized for a variety of demographics children uh adults professionals who are not trying to be mma fighters but would love to learn from people who are willing to fight in mma and take those lessons and teach them the fundamentals of self-defense and jiu-jitsu and build really a school that is a family atmosphere capable of teaching and training everyone and focusing on the needs of everyone while at the same time having time and attention for some of those young uh, MMA athletes in times in the gym where our customers and students that are looking for different needs are separated. And so we began to employ that method to much greater success. Can, I, I'm curious to hear what that experience is like. If, if I'm a mom or a dad and I've got you know, a couple young kids and maybe they want to learn martial arts or learn karate and I'm looking for a place to take them. And I find out about your 
school, what's, what's that experience like? What, um, what are you saying to them? What are you doing to kind of reduce those barriers of intimidation? And then when they show up to create a really welcoming and kind of enjoyable experience for the, the whole family, what does that look like? So we know, understand, and can relate to the fact that Gladiators Academy is an intimidating name. It's an intimidating reputation. There's an intimidating background story. Uh, And so we do our best. I mean, I think our reputation is a lot different today than it was back in the day. Back in the day, people knew, man, if you go to Gladiators Academy, they are headbusters. They are amazing, but you better have your seatbelt on. That is still the case when it comes to fighting any of our fighters, but there is a completely different understanding of what we do by the demographics that are not fighters today, right? So we've taught thousands and thousands of kids in the city over the years. You know, we've been open since 2007, 2008. And so we've had kids in here. We have over 200 kids trained here, um, everywhere from three years old, all the way up to teens. And uh, our reputation is much different. We focus when it comes to children. uh, I I have three kids. My partner, Josh, has two children. And when we sit down and say, what do I need for my children? You know, the, the word competition does not come to play. Like, I don't care if my kids compete in tournaments or win. I mean, those are not on the top of the priority list. What is on the top of the priority list is character development, uh, good self-defense fundamentals, an activity that edifies the child and the parent in an environment where there are role models who are, you know, I guess realistically being a partner in parenting and that is really what we focus on. Um, We have programs where children graduate up through where they do jujitsu tournaments, you know, maybe two or three a year, but that is not the focus of our program. That is not something we talk about. It's not something we push on them, which is very different than what we used to do. We used to, Oh, let's go compete, you know, and we really got away from a lot of that and focused on what are the real needs of these parents and these children, you know? So we have a extensive character development curriculum that we employ. We talk to kids about uh, different fairly complex concepts each month to kind of develop behaviors. Um, my daughter's done things that have, you know, just completely blown my mind utilizing the character development program that we have. Uh, we were at a, uh, we were at a, um, a Walmart around Christmas time and we were going into the Walmart. My daughter was with me. She's five. She was four at the time. We were going grocery shopping. And a lot of times we go into grocery stores. She says, dad, can I get some quarters so she can go get like a little, whatever, like a little toy or, you know, those little, uh, little boxes that have all the stuff. And so the little uh, gumball machines. And so I said, sure, Audrey. So I gave her two quarters. 
And when we walked up to the front of the store, she walked over to the Salvation Army guy and put the money in there. And she shook his hand and told him, thank you. That's awesome. And I was like, what the, what the <laughs> hell just happened? So like I pulled her aside to see if she was my child or whose child she was. And maybe she was possessed. And I said, Audrey, why did you go give that man your money? I thought you were going to go buy a candy or something. And she looked at me and said, no, I was trying to show him some compassion. Wow. And so our word of the month that month was compassion. And we were talking to the kids. We had food drives going on and toy drives going on. And, you know, and I knew that, you know, somewhere in my mind, I knew that, but I didn't put two and two together. And when your daughter's four, you know, you think some of that stuff's getting in, but you don't know, you know, yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope she's understanding what compassion is. She's four years old though. How much of this can she really understand was my thought process, right? And, you know, I couldn't have been further, I couldn't have been more wrong. You know, she understood everything. She walked up to this guy and gave him her quarters and so told me she wanted to show, I mean, he's ridiculous. You know, we've seen this time and time again with parents come talk to us about this morning on our Facebook account, we post things about the word of the month and we posted something about this month, the words friendship. We're teaching kids about friendship. And I, we posted something about friendship or something. And one of the grandparents whose son was a struggling, has had a, was having a rough time. The dad has a, a, a brain injury and the grandmother's raising him. And, you know, we've been at it with her and him. Like, like he's just has a lot of behavior problems in school and Josh is his instructor. And, you know, we've pulled him in the office a number of times and like, you know, giving him the fifth degree. And I'm a big, scary dude. I'm a 240 pound, you know, gorilla looking dude with rough ears. So this kid, they listen to us for whatever reason, either through fear or respect, they listen. And uh, this kid's really changed his life completely. I mean, he's a completely different kid. And I was coming to work and I looked underneath that post and that grandparent said, you guys are the definition of what friends are. Wow. That's awesome. And, you know, being a cage fighter and stuff and having like that rough edge about me and, and having a cage fighter school like you saw in Fightville and taking fighters to the UFC and stuff like that, like those moments to me are as valuable, if not more valuable, than taking an athlete all the way to the UFC because you know – man, we've made a huge difference in her life and this kid's life. And I know how much a difference, like I talked about Joanne Kona, how much of a difference that guy made in my life. And I'm doing a million times better job than he did. And that's how Gladiators Academy is growing. That's how Gladiators Academy is developing. Do we do marketing? Yeah, we do some marketing, you know, whatever. Do we have price sheets and sign up. Yeah, of course we do all that stuff, but the real value and engine of what we're doing is me and my partner are here every day trying to figure out how we can make these students of ours lives better from the three-year-olds all the way to the 65-year-old who's on the mat right now training with us. He's got psoriasis all over his body. He wears a, a pretty much a, a a, a wetsuit under his gi and MMA gloves so he doesn't bleed on anybody. But he loves jujitsu so much. This guy's 65 years old that he's built a 
anti-psoriasis uniform to wear under his gi so he can still train because of the way we make those people feel and the impact we have on their lives. And when people ask me, what's the secret? That's the secret. That's the secret. What impact are you having on their life? If all you're doing is charging them and teaching them some techniques, well, nobody gives a shit about that. You know, like the, all these people here have our cell phone numbers. They know us. They know my children. I know their children. And the family environment that we've built, the culture and community that we've built is what is lasting and what is impactful. So that focus, opinion, that focus on parenting, I think, is really strong. I'm curious, was that something that uh, you thought about only when you had kids yourself or was that something that was on your mind you know, prior to that? No, it's not, man. You you want to know how I started teaching kids? It's another story that makes me sound like a dumb asshole. So it's I love to tell it, no problem. <laughs> What's I uh, I didn't want to teach kids at all. Like I I, I I I was like, I don't know, man. Like somebody walking up to me with some kids before I started teaching kids was similar to somebody walking up to me with a petri dish of HIV. I was like, oh no no no, well get away! Oh no no, I don't know. I don't want to touch it. Get it out of here. I'm done. Out. And uh, we had a lot of – when I opened the academy, it was adults only. We didn't have no kids. We didn't want no kids. I didn't teach no kids. And I came from another academy in Houston. Like the Carlson Gracie Academy is pretty synonymous with amazing competitors. But it's also pretty synonymous with a minimal focus on children's programs. And so I came from a school. We didn't have no kids. We had one kid in our program. He was about five years old when he started. His name's Noah Tillis. His father brought him every day. And he was the only kid. There was no kids program. There was just that one kid. And he trained in the adults classes. And the kid's a black belt today, Abu Dhabi competitor, MMA fighter. He's a monster. But he started training with me when he was five years old. He's like 23 now. He has his own academy in Los Angeles. That was the kid we had. Okay, one. And he's a beast. Uh, when I opened my academy in Houston with Eves Edwards, we didn't have no kids programs at all. Didn't want them. We ab- adamantly refused to teach kids programs because we just thought there was a lot of drama and we didn't want to deal with parents and all this. So when Open Gladiators Academy in Lafayette in 2008, you know, it grew faster than we could have predicted. Like we had a, a hundred students in five or six months. And then a lot of these guys had kids and they were like, man, you know, you guys are amazing. I want you to teach my kids. And we were like, hell no, <laughs> absolutely not. The answer is no. Don't even bring them here to watch, please. And, uh, but over the years, you know, I really kind of got close to a lot of these guys and they wore me down, you know, they just wore me down and wore me down and like, please teach my kid, please, please. And so I guess about 2009 or so, right, Josh, 2009, Yeah, about a year or two, in. about a year in 2009, I finally like relented and I was like, okay, I'll start a kid's program. Because it was all I was doing at the time other than fighting in the UFC. And I told the parents, I was like, look, but, you know, I'm going to do my best here. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to try. But I have fights. And if I leave for fights, you know, whatever. But the damnedest thing happened, you know. I just fell in love with them little motherfuckers, man. (laughs) I just like, dude, I mean, like head over heels in love with them. Like just amazing kids. They, you know, they looked at me like I was the damn Statue of Liberty. Like, oh my God, look how big he is. And I remember just seeing the impact 
that I had on them in their school and in their lives and them coming to my academy so scared and so intimidated and so nervous of the world around them and so scared of the threat of bullies and things like that. Many of them were bullied already and watching the change in them over the next five or six months and them straighten their backs and put their shoulders back and stand at attention and say, yes, sir. And become jujitsu practitioners and walk around with confidence, like really showed me how powerful jujitsu was for a demographic that I never even wanted to be a part of. And for me, that was really like a, a pivotal, a pivotal time. You know, I was already teaching kids before I had kids, but it was watching the children, watching the effect that it had on the kids that really changed my, my decision. And, um, we began teaching and I've been teaching the kids. Like I let people teach my MMA classes. I let people teach jujitsu, like everything, but like my kids class, nah, dude, I'm teaching. You're like, ah, oh, you know, you don't have to teach everything. You can like let somebody teach me. Shut up. Like that's why I'm here. If we didn't, have, if I wasn't teaching the kids, cause I wouldn't even come to work. Like that's what I want. That's all. The only reason I'm here. They're my favorite kid. Like they listen. So it's unbelievable. You know? And I remember yesterday, uh, Monday, I had over 30 in my advanced kids jujitsu class. And the age group is six years old to 10 year olds. And I really like working with that group. They're still innocent and they like to have fun. And I'm a big, stupid kid, rhinoceros, Sasquatch anyway. So it's fun for me. And, um, my partner Josh has an education degree. He teaches the teens. You know, they kind of they're a little too cool for school. You know, I'm sure I have them. He, he's better with them. You know, because they're a little mouthy. You know, I might have to strike them down or something, <laughs> catch a charge on them ones. But uh, but those little kids, you know, they I just love them. I mean, and we probably have over a hundred in our program, but only about thirty five or forty of them are in the advanced program, um, and. Yeah, man, it's a, uh, it's the, it's the my favorite, my favorite time of the whole week. I even, I love the kids so much that I started an MMA for kids program on Saturdays. I teach the children MMA. Now, I, when when I tell parents that, they're like, "So they do UFC fights?" I'm like, "Listen here, rocket scientist. No, they don't do UFC fights. All we're doing is mixing martial arts for children." So I teach them like the fundamentals of boxing and kickboxing and we pair that with their takedowns and their jujitsu so they can learn a full cohesive style because that's what I was taught at Carlson Gracie. You know, like you should know how to box, you should know how to wrestle and you should have really good jujitsu. And that's what we're teaching these kids. And I have some seven year olds that, I mean, it's unbelievable. They're unbelievable. They're UFC fighters. They don't spar with nobody. They don't punch, get punched in the face. I mean, I don't believe in all that for little kids. Uh, just technically, I just teach them technically, and uh, it's incredible. But the last problem they have is getting bullied. Yeah. And they yeah. say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Whenever it's time to bring their grades in, I've got 40 kids on the principal's list. Student of the year, Christian student of the year, uh, best student – 
in the school, like they all win all that stuff. And the teachers write letters to our academy like, thank you so much for what you're doing. And the truth of it is it's because we love doing it. That's why we're successful. We're not successful because we're using magic tricks. We're not successful because of marketing. We're not successful because of Facebook ads. We're successful because the product is infused with great passion. And we are experts. So if you take someone who is an expert and they are passionate and they are going to dedicate themselves consistently, that is the, that are, those are the ingredients to be successful. And that's why we've been successful. We're here all day, every day, figuring out better ways. I got a cupcake party today for a bunch of three, four, and five-year-olds. And some guys would laugh, like would be like, dude, Tim Crater is a UFC fighter, UFC veteran. And he's over here now doing cupcake parties with three and four and five-year-olds, you know? And that would be funny, you know, except my five-year-olds would probably whip your ass. Other than other than that part, it's funny. Yeah, I remember so, after after hearing you speak, I came home and told my wife, like, we've gotta we've gotta get the kids in uh, martial arts. Um, just hearing you talk about the discipline and the structure and just the life lessons, you know, that that stuff is just so important in their development. Um, <clears throat> so we're starting to wrap up, but one of the things I wanted you to do that was starting to wrap up. I'm just getting started. <laughs> Y'all need to extend this podcast. We'll do it. We'll do a second one. We um, do a double podcast for Tim Craven's nonstop talking. So one of the things that you talked about that that was really impressive to me at at Allen's thing was um, you talked about like the user experience, like for somebody coming into the gym. So say you're a very family friendly gym like Gladiators. Uh, could you just walk us through, and this is more tactical for the for the gym owners that are listening. Sure. Could you just kind of walk us through kind of what you want people to see, hear, smell, feel when they come in the gym um, at Gladiators? Sure. I mean, I, my partner and I, went, you know, and the reason, you know, some people say, you know, the reason we can speak on this is because Josh and I both have been a part of gyms that were absolute shitholes you know i mean from the way they smell to the way they look to the way they were designed to the way they treated you know we've been as bad as it could be you know what i'm saying and so i know how bad it is how bad it can be and we've walked through a lot of gyms and i would say mixed martial arts jiu-jitsu schools have gotten a little better over the years but they're still bad you know they still smell bad um the mat cleaner they use is some stuff you buy at Sam's. We buy our stuff from a chemical company that makes non-toxic uh, cleaner that they use to clean dive chambers because divers have to be underwater, you know, 30 days at a time and they can't get sick. So we use this product that kills everything. It's very expensive, but we don't have any problem buying it because it's not cool for a kid to get ringworm on their face. And we clean the mats like we employ a cleaning team of <laughs> 10 or 12 people here that clean the mats for two and a half hours every day. And I mean clean everything. This place you could eat off the floor here. It is impeccably clean every day. We have air uh, fresheners all over the gym. It smells like the spring air. 
The bathrooms are clean rigorously. All the people who clean here know clean because if Tim gets here and it looks bad, he's going nuts and he's going to call you. Cleaning is a huge, huge aspect of what we do. But the gym's decorated with pallet wood. It looks like Louisiana. We have a lot of media around. It's very professional. It looks almost like a franchised school, which we're franchised now. We have four other affiliate schools. And we focused really hard on this place needs to look and feel like something that you can trust. You know, we want people to trust as soon as they walk in. Of course, the product's great, but they need to be able to trust that we're going to be here tomorrow as soon as they walk in the door. And that has to do with what they see, how they're treated. And it even goes down to like who we hire. Like the girls we have that work at the front desk now, we hire girls, not guys. And the reason is because, you know, you got to try to talk guys into being nice. You got to teach guys how to smile. You got to teach guys how to be friendly. You got to, and I just don't have time for that. The girls we have work here are so sweet and so nice. They're way prettier. They dress nice. They smell nice. They look nice. It's so much easier. You know, the guy's got flip flops on and tape wrapped around his toes, and he looks like a grizzly bear. Like I don't want to. I don't want that guy talking to me when I walk in a facility. Yep. So we've revamped everything and we've looked at a lot of business models from other businesses that we thought were appealing and successful. And from the top down, we've changed everything. Who you talk to, how we answer the phone, how we, um, what the customer sees on our website, what the bathrooms look and smell like. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good your product is, if the first impression sucks, your numbers are going to be – they're going to reflect it. Yeah. And so we're pretty serious about first impression. What does it feel like? What's the vibe? What's the community like? Um, you know, Josh and I have our own personalities. Uh, Josh is a real consistent guy. He's a little quieter than I am but a uh, family guy and real nice guy talks to everybody, uh, a little bit more reserved than I am, more of like the quiet professional, but very, very, very solidly reliable, always there, always on the mat, always willing to help you, always, whatever question you have, he'll teach you for free. You know, he's not uh, uh, nickel and diming anybody. And then I'm the other side of the spectrum. You know, I'm real loud. When people walk in the gym, I scream their name real loud and I'm real boisterous and real flamboyant and, and charismatic. And those two personalities, you know, we're not, it's not an act. It's our real selves, but we don't try to subvert ourselves. Josh is Josh and I'm me. And that's a big draw at the gym. People love to be recognized and made to feel special and talk to and not put on a pedestal, but appreciated, you know, and we work really hard at that kind of stuff. Now, those are the things at the front of the spectrum. The things on the other side of the spectrum is Josh and I are meticulous animals when it comes to our curriculum. Everything that's taught is built into a lesson plan that is saved and followed thoroughly. We go over lesson plan, curriculum development. We study curriculum development. We, stu we read books about it. We, 
So the curriculums are amazing. The classes are amazing. We run our own instructor training program. So our instructors know exactly how to teach. It's a 40-hour program so that they teach the way that we think is best for students. Um, so the back end is as robust as the front end. And I think those things together meld into a successful martial arts school. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a good place uh, for us to wrap up. Um, do you have do you have any other questions, John? Or well, one thing that I always like to ask is other resources you'd like to share with other martial arts school owners or really just gym owners. You know, whether it's top five books, top five podcasts, um, you know, people to follow. What are what are yours? Yeah, man, I, I got about a top six million, um, <laughs> but. Uh, give me one. Let, let me, Josh, go get Plan to Win. Uh, there's a couple books. I'm going to give a couple. I, I would say on my top list for me personally, personally, everybody's got their own, but I know this book, well, a mentor of mine back in the day introduced this book to me uh, by Napoleon Hill called Think and Grow Rich. I read it all the time. I'm actually now, I've retired my Think and Grow Rich copy and I'm now reading The Laws of Success which is the original copy that Napoleon Hill wrote. Uh, it was trimmed down to think and grow rich to make it easier for people to read. Laws of Success is about 650 pages, and I'm reading that now, and I'm vigilant. You know, I, I say I, I probably live about 60% by the book. I really try to, to – I want to be at 80%, 90%. Um, but it really talks about how to organize your time and how to be vigilant in organizing and planning and saving money and just a lot of those attributes that I teach to children. This is those kind of that kind of character development, in my opinion, for an adult and a business owner. And it comes from some of the archives of some of the greatest businessmen that America's ever 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 seen. You yeah, know, so yeah. that book is a staple of my diet on a regular, regular, regular basis. Uh, another one that I'm reading now, uh, me and Matt talked about it. I think it's imperative for anybody. Uh, a good friend of mine, we've been knowing each other about 15 years, 20 years. Jocko Willenick wrote a book with Leif Babin about they're both SEAL battalion commanders. And they were the commanders at the Battle of Ramadi. Uh, Chris Kyle the sniper that they made America Sniper about was one of the snipers in their platoon. And uh, they just wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. And it's really a lot about taking responsibility and really being a boss and not being a bitch and, and not blaming shit on others and not accepting responsibility. You know, because anything that happens under this roof is my fault. Whether I was here, whether I wasn't here, you know, and, and that's the truth. And Jocko has a podcast called The Jocko Podcast. So I really, I really like Jocko's book as well. And the last one I want to cover too is a book Josh and I really, really read a lot and uh, have taken a lot of uh, information from when it comes to teaching kids. It's called Plan to Win Success Guide for Young Athletes. But the author's name is Glenn Moore. And this is a pretty older book. It's uh, It was actually – let me look what it was written. It was written in 94, 94. So not that old but uh, it's an amazing book on how to teach young athletes, how to teach kids, how to get them to perform 
effectively without um, without being one of those parents that when I go to football games, I want to punch the parent in their face uh, who's screaming and hollering at their kid and just embarrassing them in front of everyone and really ruining the child's experience. You know, because if we talk about growth and development, it has a lot to do with experiences. And if those experiences for children are negative experiences, they are unwilling to continue to put forth the attitude necessary to learn from effective and good experiences. So a lot of the way we teach our kids classes is, man, we focus on making sure our kids have an amazing experience every class. It's is it hard sometimes for sure, but it's got to be an amazing experience. They have to feel supported. They have to feel comfortable. They have to feel like we care and we're taking care. We're, we're focused on them. They don't have to feel like we're babying them. We don't baby anybody, but they know we care. And if they make a mistake, we don't mind telling them. But the way we tell them is a lot different than we see a lot of other parents and coaches coaching children these days. You know, it kind of. It's a pet peeve. It makes me – it's like, like somebody scratching their fingers down a chalkboard when I see some of that because it's detrimental. It's detrimental not only for that sport but for the rest of the kid's life. He's going to – that kind of behavior causes anti-authority. It causes a child to not uh, want to listen to adults or coaches. It causes a child uh, to not be a team player. It makes them uncoachable. It makes them uncoachable, and yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and when the the dad or the coach is like, "You're uncoachable," it's like, "Well, you're." It's because you're a shitty coach. You, you suck. That's why he's like that. A seven year old doesn't get like that. You got him like that. Accept responsibility and get better. And so, that plan to win book's amazing. I got one you for know, you, really, Tim. Really Mental is. toughness training for sports uh, by James Lore. I think you'll like that book a lot. Mental toughness training for is it red? Uh, it's green. The one I have back in high school was green. Okay. Um, but there might be a new one that's red, but yeah, I think you'd really like that based on those other ones. And then there's one book, other book. If you're a, a competitor and an athlete and you're going to be competing in stuff and it's called the mindful athlete. I think it's George Mumford that wrote it. Let me, let me, it's right here in my office. Give me one second. Yeah, that's it. It's uh, The Mindful Athlete by okay. George Mumford. George was a uh, – George is a, a Zen Buddhist and he is a meditation and performance teacher. His – some of his students, one of his lifelong students is Phil Jackson who won 11 rings with the NBA. Four or five of them he won at the uh, Bulls and then – I think four or five other ones or six other ones he won at the Lakers. But George Mumford was also hugely impactful in the lives of Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Clint Dempsey, uh, Olympic silver medalist Sasha Cohen, and the list goes on and on. But what he really teaches people is how to how to perform without putting pressure on yourself and without freaking yourself out, how to just be in the moment and perform. And, uh, man, that book is unbelievable but you know those are books that i think depending on if you're a business owner or an athlete or someone teaching martial arts you know those are four different books i think would help anybody i read a lot 
Awesome. Thanks for sharing all those resources. We'll uh, put links to each of those on our website. Absolutely. Yeah. Tim, hey, we want to thank you again for being with us today. Lots of great advice, and uh, we really appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. If anybody ever has any questions or needs anything, you're welcome to contact me on Facebook under Tim Crater. Send me a message. You probably can't friend request me. I think I have like 5,000 friends or something. I don't know what to do. Uh, but you can also contact me on Instagram at Tim Crater or Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. And if anybody has any questions or you're a gym owner and you're struggling and you need some help and you have some questions, feel free to contact me. You know, I'm, uh, I, I help people all the time. I'm a consultant uh, and I help people all the time. Um, but free advice is always there. So contact me if you need any help. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it, Matt. Appreciate it, Tim. As always, always awesome to talk with you. All right. Thanks again. Take care, Tim. Thank you. Thanks again for listening today. The Gym Owner's Guide to the Galaxy was produced by Matt Sharp, Jeremy Russell, and me, John Ruger. To make sure you catch every episode, search for The Gym Owner's Guide to the Galaxy on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're always looking for industry leaders to interview on the show, so if there's anyone you'd like to see us feature on a future episode, let us know at podcast at causely.com. That's causely.com. We are a production of Sweat Angels, the number one referral program for gym owners. Sweat Angels helps drive new members at your gym by combining Facebook check-ins with giving back. If you haven't heard of us, just go to causely.com forward slash sweat angels or search for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Gym Owner's Guide to the Galaxy.